you love to talk about your dog almost too much? Us too, which is why we created a space where we celebrate it. This is for those who love the four-legged friends they rescued because they got rescued right back. Each week, we bring on a dog mom or a dad to talk about their rescue dogs and how they changed their lives. This is Rescue Dog Moms, a parenting podcast. I'm Yamini, and this is Boss. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rescue Dog Love. I hope you're all enjoying the beginning of September, and I'm excited to be back with a great episode today. Today's episode is with Cassidy from the account Ginger Snaps or Ginger Naps. We talk about it a bit, but Cassidy's account is one of my favorites on Instagram. It is pretty much exactly what I need as someone who is always interested in how racism, anti-blackness works in every avenue of our world and dogs and dog ownership is absolutely one that needs to be investigated and that's what this episode is all about. So we talk about Cassidy's account, the history of anti-blackness in the dog world, including the history of pit bulls, the history of discrimination with other aspects of dog ownership from adoption. And honestly, she's just a wealth of knowledge. She's very smart, very knowledgeable, and I just was humbled to be in her presence. Just some notes on the beginning of the episode. Cassidy and I did start the episode with some uh, headphones on her end that were not working properly. So while the audio isn't great, I promise that within 10 minutes, it does get better. Unfortunately, obviously, when you have a live interview, it is hard to re-record. Tried to fix it as much as I could, but I am not an editor. So my apologies there. And in general, I would say the quality of this episode is not my best. So apologies again. I know I recently got a review that was like talking about how my volume was inconsistent. And uh, yeah, I'm trying my best. This is what happens when you support people who don't do this for a living and are learning. (laughs) Thank you guys for your patience. I promise the content is really worth it. And I hope you guys have a good day. Bye. See you next time. Hey, Cassidy. Welcome to the Rescue Dog Love podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. I have been a huge fan of your account for quite a while. I find your content so engaging, interesting. I always learn a lot. And I mean, also Ginger is adorable. So you got lucky there. You got a little star with you. For sure. Thank you for the high praise. Of course. Um, Before we get deeper into your account, I always love to start off this podcast, just learn a little bit about your baby. Great. So Miss Rescue Dog Lover, I just let me hear you rant about the wonders of Ginger. Okay, so Ginger Jones, she is two years old, two years and three months now. She was found in an industrial park with two siblings in Florida. They all had parvo. One of them didn't survive. Ginger did. So she and her brother got driven up to Philadelphia, which is where I adopted her during the pandemic as a reward for um, getting through my comprehensive exams for my PhD program. I mean, I did a lot of research before. I didn't just go out and pick up a dog the same way I would pick up a cocktail. But yeah, I just wanted to do something special to mark that transformation, that transition in my life. So she is allegedly a black mouth. Most of her papers say unknown and also very clearly mixed with something pit. If you look, she cannot hide it. 
She is kind of orangish, so I dyed my hair orange to match her. That's some dedication. I love it. (laughs) I'm obsessed with her. She is the light of my life. I say that to everyone. What can I say about her? She's kind of in her own world. She's very well behaved when we're out in public. And then once we get home, she's like, okay, so we know who the real boss is. You're not going to tell me what to do. I may have settled at that cafe, but I'm home now and I'm going to do what I want to do. And I respect that. It works for us. That's so funny because I feel like a lot of dogs had to go both ways. Ginger sounds a lot like my dog boss who basically everyone says, oh my God, he's so well behaved. He's perfect. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's at home that he's (laughs) and will like put it all out there for me. (laughs) Right. Just like Ginger. But it's true. You're at home. He's like, Ginger's like, I'm going to relax and boss is the same. (laughs) She knows that she has 12,000 Instagram followers. Oh yeah. I can tell. But that has gone to her head. And, that <laughs> and you're like, well, I guess you're the celebrity in the house. So she is the star. I'm just a groupie. <laughs> I love it. Did you ever like, I guess, do you know what happened to her other sibling by any chance? Yes. So Archie also got adopted by a couple who was just outside of Philly. We had them meet up once at a park and that went very well. Well, no, Ginger still kind of acted like he was a stranger because she stuck up, but (laughs) I could tell that they were more comfortable around each other than she is with some other new dogs. And then for her first birthday party, we made sure to invite Archie and they got to share a peanut butter cake and it was very cute. That's adorable. That's also how I learned that Ginger's tail may have been purposefully docked by someone before I adopted her because Archie has a full long tail and she does not. Yeah, that's probably it. How old was she when you adopted her again? Four months. Did they do that that young? I didn't realize. I don't know who did it. I don't know if it was medical or genetic or what happened. It never occurred to me that she could have had a tail and lost it until yeah. I saw her. Case. But also in general, I find I find tail docking strange in general. Great. Um, anything else you want to say about her? personality so she's sassy at home how does that come out she makes a lot of very intentional eye contact I think that she's great at telling me off with just her eyes like she can look at me and tell me I fully understand what you just asked me to do and I'm fully not going to do it she farts in defiance where she I'll tell her no and then she'll sit down really gaze deep into my soul and just let one rip. Wow. That is direct. That's the fast. Yep. (laughs) She knows. She knows how to make a point heard. She sure does. I love that. Um, So she, I assume, was the big inspiration for your account. I'd love to hear how it got started. Got started after I finished my exams, after I was totally done with that process. I needed another outlet, things to do with my time. And I was taking pictures of her all the time and sending them to way too many people. And eventually everyone just had to follow the account. I'm not going to keep sending individual texts to my mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and uncle and everybody. Just have to look at the account. Then I spent several days trying to come up with a cutesy, clever name. Everybody, no one's just like, this is my dog. This is my dog anymore. 
it has to be something really creative. Put together ginger snaps, ginger snap, ginger snaps, because she slept all the time. So it worked. Yeah, I like that one. It makes sense now that you've said it out loud. Thank you. <laughs> Very cute. And yeah, obviously started as something you wanted to just share with your family, just some cute pics started growing. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear how that came about and like what your thoughts were initially. Yeah, I think I was weirded out. Studying for my comprehensive exams. I'm sorry I keep talking about school, but okay. I mean, school it was and ginger are the two main facets of my life. There are milestones in the PhD program and especially in the comprehensive exams part that I felt like I was missing. So after ginger started getting more attention from strangers, just from the hashtag black mouth curve, things of that nature, that's how I connected with people at first. As she started getting more attention, then I started thinking, what if I actually took this really really seriously. And then I started taking it extremely seriously. I think I went like a year and a half without missing a day, which is very stressful (laughs) at times. But I think it's that consistency and the fact that I'm a huge nerd that people were into. You can always expect a new picture of ginger napping. And most of the time you can expect a book recommendation or I'm telling you about an article I just read. I'm very gently letting you know that this thing that you thought wasn't racist was actually racist. And people seem to take to that. I think in general, educational content sometimes, I think more now, but when like dog Instagram was growing, it was really lacking. It was literally just cute dogs for a very long time without much else. And I think Mm -hmm. now people are definitely like reading captions, making sure that they like get a sense of like what's important to the owner. I think it's really reflective of like why people are drawn to your account. That's really exciting because, you know, people come for Ginger, but they stay for the fact that I know how to read. That's how I think (laughs) about it. Everyone talks about how reels are the best way to grow but I found that I get the most influx of new followers or the most engagement when I really take the time to do one of the graphic posts that like synthesizes a lot of information into small cutesy cartoons (laughs) and graphics and so I enjoy making those they're really rewarding and it's nice to know that I don't have to rely on trending audios all the time to try to grow. I can just talk about things that I want to talk about Yeah, in books. Yeah, I think Reels is like a huge sore in people and creators right now. And I think you do a good job at like combining kind of both, like still having a perspective in your Reels and all that. But I can definitely feel you where you're like, you know, I want to share something that can't just be digested in five seconds of like a funny pun. So it's important. I would love to talk more about that content that we were talking about. How do you prepare to create like that educational content, like the little carousel slides, anything that, like you said, infuses like research with with Ginger and the dog perspective? Those take me all day. I am gathering sources. That's the first step. A wide range of articles. Like for the Pitbull post, I had to read a lot of literature from both sides, I guess, to try to understand why people hate them so much the real statistics that debunk most of the things people that hate them so much have to say. Data collecting, note taking, that's the first part. And I spend hours on that. (laughs) You would think I'm a fast reader at this point. I'm not. It takes me a long time. 
And then I head over to Canva and see how to pare down what I've just read into two or three sentences into something that's going to fit on a square in a way that's accessible for people to read, um, not overbearing, but also not leaving out too much. Try to get the heart of whatever it was I had just been reading. I then try to figure out how much information I can fit on a little square without being overbearing, without leaving up, leaving out too and too much information. I try to leave enough so that if people wanted to go pursue something further, they would know what to look for. I obviously can't fit everything about the history of dogs, the history of Black people. No. <laughs> a little 1080p by 1080p. And so there's a always a cover slide letting you know what's about to happen because that's the one people share the most usually. And then there's always a sources list because that's my main problem with folks that push out all this anti-pitbull stuff, which is fresh on my mind because of that email, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. Terrible sources, not at all verified, just saying things, <laughs> just saying things. Yeah. With no um, and also the student in me could never just make claims without having some sort of information to back that up. That's important to to me and then the final slide saying you know follow ginger snaps for more of this stuff if you want to i mean i think the sources part is so important and you're so right i think like in the age of google people will literally just like google and the first thing that pops up is like a source to them yep and you're just like how did this post come to be did anybody check <laughs> it especially with misinformation obviously like if you're searching for misinformation misinformation is gonna come up first oh yeah even if you're not searching for it and it gets a lot of traction and then that's how it ends up becoming fact for people. Just the fact that a lot of other people have said it. But if you keep following the thread, it eventually comes back to this random person's one-off joke in a newspaper in 1950. Now everyone thinks it's a fact. I was, uh, this is totally off topic. I was listening to a book today about just like the BMI scale and all of that. <laughs> and even just hearing like literal scientific studies deny the fact that like being overweight has any bearing on your health. And there's actually studies that support that being overweight, more people who are overweight live longer than people who are like underweight, even though literally the diet spectrum tells you to do the thing that's bad for you, basically. Crazy how even like something that's in, you know, that is industrially like accepted by like mm -hmm. top people in the industry can still have just though that history behind it that guides it as fact. And I think pit bulls and other breeds of dogs are just part of that same conversation. They're like, this was bred for this. Therefore, there's no field that's unbiased. There's nothing. The sciences have their biases, whether or not they state them is something, but they're there with BMI. That's a great example. BMI was based on a very specific body type that the majority of the world doesn't fit into. Obviously, we don't fit that scale. <laughs> People want to say that it's science, and so therefore it can't be biased, but it definitely can and is. Same with history, also biased every time. You don't call it his story for nothing. Period. <laughs> I know we talked about reels a bit. Do you enjoy making them? Sometimes. Yeah. Every once in a while, something, I, I'll hear an audio that's really funny and an idea will pop into my head and I'll record that as quickly as possible and put it out there. But the ones I've, many people have said this, but the ones that I spend the most time on are the ones the least people care about. 
So I try to just have fun with reels. If I can't think of anything that I would actually enjoy making, I'll just skip posting that day. I'm not going to stress myself out. I think that's good. And hopefully, you know, Ginger will just provide some entertaining clips that you can just put in there. Because I always find too, if I post my dog, it's going to do so much better. My analytics say the opposite. Ginger alone, not great. Ginger and Cassidy, people love it. (laughs) Or maybe praise to you. I'm trying to tell her we're better together. We're better as a team, but she still thinks she's the diva. The stats say otherwise, Ginger. Look at the data. I'm always (laughs) telling her. Let's get into the topics that we kind of started talking about and like what I think like a large part of your content is. And especially, I mean, definitely how I discovered you and I'm sure how a lot of other people get to see Ginger's life and yours, which is kind of the experience of being a Black creator in that dog Instagram space, as well as a Black dog owner in general. From my perspective too, like I in particular love to talk about like the rescue community because it is obviously so passionate, like lots of people have lots of deep love for their dogs and other dogs in need. But I think there is very much like a big white audience that plays into it. So just getting any other perspectives has always been really important to me and really important to me for this platform as well. I'm super excited to chat about this with you. Um, you know, excited maybe is a weird word because we're going to talk about <laughs> a lot of trauma and a lot of like sad shit, but it I'm is excited it is. about it too. It's okay. Let's lean in. I would love to talk about just how your account has grown. So you're talking about the educational content and a lot of it having to do with your experiences tied into a bigger framework. What of your own experiences have led you to want to share this on your channel in the first place? I think it was the other way around. Mm -hmm. I think I was reading the historical context first and then putting together in my mind how that's showing up in my present day life. I study the 19th century. I read a lot of literature from the period of enslavement. I read slave codes. I read a lot of history. It has taken a lot of history. One of my dissertation chapters has to do with the relationship between Black people and animals. So obviously I'm going to see... I'm going to look up dog. I'm going to search dog and see what happens. And I would just see vile things about how Black people shouldn't own dogs, about how dogs are used against Black people, um, and continuing to follow that thread through decades, through centuries of a negative relationship between Black folks and dogs was created by white supremacy. So that's when I started to take a look around at my own experiences, like how I'm spoken to at the vet or the process of just getting, adopting Ginger. There were some hurdles and there were some places that I, a lot of places that I could not apply to because of my income, because of the fact that I live in an apartment, because of my zip code. I saw that on a at least two or three applications. So I think other people were interested in following that pattern as well. Having that history as a foundation tends to, it makes me more confident that I'm not making this up when something feels a little off. So I share it. Absolutely. You're basically just like, yeah, taking historical context for the lived experiences you would go through. I also definitely could relate to that feeling of like, am I making this up in my head? Did this just happen to me? And just realizing, no. Chances are you're not. I, do you mind talking about some of those experiences? Like I know you were saying adoption, like application. I know that's something 
that can definitely affect folks here in Canada as well, because obviously Black folk here are also disproportionately in like different neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. different income streams, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What barriers did you see when you were searching for an opportunity? I assume Ginger wasn't the first dog you applied for. She was in that I tried to get an appointment at a lot of shelters, couldn't get an appointment. I got one at this place and went to go look around and then just saw Ginger and could not leave without her. (laughs) So she is the dog I, the first dog I applied for, but she's not the first dog that I saw that I wanted just virtually. I spent at least two months putting together a spreadsheet of all of the shelters in my area, what their requirements were, how far away they were from me what dogs they mostly had available, that kind of thing. If there was any dog that stood out to me that I wanted to meet. All of that was in Google Sheets, but it was amazing to me how many I had to cross off because I looked at the application or I looked at the adopter requirements and I didn't fit it. I couldn't, especially based on income and my housing situation. I couldn't think of the justification for those things. Having a blanket statement that a dog can't be happy in in an apartment just sounds wrong. So Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've I, heard that a lot about a lot of US shelters. Definitely. I'm sure there's a ton of rescues here in Canada that operate with the same terrible principles. But yeah, I've heard a lot about excluding apartments completely, which is mm-hmm. crazy because with the rescue I volunteer with, <laughs> I feel like our fosters who, who are in condos or in apartments, like they got to walk their dog way more. And those dogs like get a lot more exposure. They get like really ready to like live in the city. I mean, obviously it's not for every dog, but it's more of a case by case basis versus like a blanket thing. That's my thing with most adoption requirements. These blanket statements are keeping dogs out of homes. Whereas if we just took a little bit more time, get to know the dog better, get to know the person better, we might find that people are actually a good fit. Like there's recently a story in the news about that person on Reddit. <laughs> it was an Am I the Asshole? The one, did you see it? The one that- I didn't know. I would, I'll look it up after this. Because he said the woman was too fat. Just off of his conversation with her, he assumed that she wouldn't be able to keep up with his energy level. Didn't ask her what her activity is like. Didn't ask her if she felt up to whatever he thought was appropriate for the dog. Just looked at her body and decided, nope, she can't do it. And I think that happens to Black people all the time as well. How do you relate to, with your content being put out, what reception do you get back from your audience that um, encourages you to keep sharing it? My favorite comment is, I never thought about it like this. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing to read, because that's why I make what I make. I think there are a lot of ways that anti-Blackness is not obvious especially if you're not experiencing it. And I love the moment that it clicks for somebody that something around them is happening that's unjust because that's the first step to taking action against it. Because so many people that I've met in the dog world are really caring people, well-meaning people. They're self-sacrificing people. They're people who put themselves out there for other living things in terms of dogs And I just feel like a lot of them just need that one extra push, that extra boost to start giving that same level of care to people who are different from them. I love that comparison because I think it's definitely like 
the capacity is there. Like, you know, we're in a community that like, we're all ideally like animal lovers and like care so much about these creatures who like are put in terrible situations. And, you know, uh, obviously an amazing part of rescuing a dog is just like knowing that you helped alleviate the shelter space. You're helping another dog, you're helping your dog. But then when it comes to the treatment of people, especially marginalized people, there are sometimes that gap. So Mm -hmm. that education is definitely a big part of it because at the end of the day, like rescues and shelters are another institution and we all have to work to not have the same impact on marginalized folks across like all of that as well. So I think your account is great for that and just highlighting that dogs are a part of this whole mess, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. There's no corner of this world that is untouched by anti-Blackness. So let's just address it so that we can fix it rather than ignoring it because you want dog Instagram just to be about cute dogs again. It's not. It never was. Oh, well. (laughs) Definitely not. Um, Let's talk more specifically about your content and the reaction. I have a few in our notes that like I got out, but I would love to hear first about the names. Bad naming. That was such a stressful day. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first day that I got like hate. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I've gotten comments before that were like, I disagree, or this doesn't make sense. Whatever, that rolls off my back. But this was, people were telling me that I was the same as white supremacists, because I named my dog Ginger. And that is a slur for red haired people. It's not the same. It's not the same. But I spent my whole day because I'm one of those empathetic people, right? If someone tells me I'm hurting somebody, I want to stop and reflect. I wish some of those people did. (laughs) Their first reaction to getting called out was to get defensive and throw the blame in another direction. But I got off the internet for a second and had to think about, okay, what are the actual implications of the decision I made to name my dog Ginger? Who could possibly be hurting because of that choice? And what is the history behind that hurt? So I was doing research about the persecution of red-haired people, especially in the UK, um, and lots of bullying and stories about kids that took their own life because of, I, I don't know that it's discrimination, but it was bullying. And maybe I guess wrath. because of, yeah, what is like something that's like not discriminatory, but just like not liked in society (laughs) yeah not totally sure because it's not like from the research that I found it's not like people were losing jobs because of or missing out no institutional system that puts down red-haired people uh, versus others but yeah definitely willing to have a real conversation about bullying but what we cannot do is say that that is the same as someone naming their dog after an enslaved person yeah. Do you mind giving some context about um, the name Django and what it means just for those who might not know? So folks, what I've learned since then is that folks abroad associate Django with a musician. Never heard of that person. I think their name is Django Reinhardt, but that's what comes to mind for a lot of people outside of the U.S. However, in the United States, the person that comes to mind is Quentin Tarantino's movie Django Unchained, in which... Jamie Foxx stars and stars as an enslaved person. And I know for a fact that the person at my park who had a 
all black pit bull named Django did so because of the movie and not the musician. So I really just ask people to take a step back and interrogate that decision. Like seeing a black pit bull and going, I'm going to name you after an enslaved person is wild to me on purpose. And how that just does not equal my seeing my orange dog and going, oh, Ginger. <laughs> There's definitely an extra leap done. You could name it any other word that has to do with the color black and not there are lots of other black things yeah yeah out there that aren't people that were enslaved you know shadow lots of cute names yeah cute unfortunate that you had to deal with the polarizing response to that but that's interesting also (laughs) that like you said I think unfortunately a big response to these posts sometimes can be just like what are you doing wrong and what can I point out right versus acknowledgement or just like asking questions curiosity right just think about the choice that's all I'm saying I wasn't like you should get fired because you named your dog Django yes you shouldn't have a dog anymore because you named your dog Django I was just saying think about why you decided to name your dog Django and how that could be uh hurtful to the one or two other black people in your dog park who probably felt a little isolated going out there anyway and now have heard that you named your black pit bull after a good person that's definitely the better perspective to take overall i also wanted to maybe talk about like other trends in the animal space that aren't the most um thoughtful (laughs) in that same way i know one that you've addressed is also just like you know an animal rights like that kind of language used that compares Mm -hmm. the experience of enslaved Black Americans to like the fight for animal rights. Right. I think that it's really inappropriate to call things the same. If you want to acknowledge that you're seeing a pattern of abuse in one place and now you've noticed it in another, that's fine. If you want to say that white supremacist violence broke down Black people and you're seeing violence break down the animal kingdom, break down communities of dogs and cats and rescued animals and all that thing. As long as you do it thoughtfully, that's fine. But saying that rescue dogs are enslaved Black people or the plight of enslaved human beings trying to fight for recognition as human beings is the same as mistreated dogs. That's just incorrect, factually. It's okay to take inspiration and do your research because of it, but equalizing them, not okay to me. And people do it for this like emotional register. Yes, And if you care about people, you have to care about dogs. And (laughs) okay, that seems a little bit far to say that Black people being excluded from participating in humanity is the same thing as this man-made problem we've created of an overabundance of rescue dogs. But there are other ways to get your point across, is what I'm saying. You don't have to shock people, um, especially people doing those side-by-sides. They'll like show an enslaved Black person and then show a sad dog and be like, don't these make you feel the same thing? And they shouldn't. (laughs) 
They really shouldn't. So that's just something I don't like to see. Yeah. And I think kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast too, like we're saying like the, the chances more are that more people probably put priorities in animals than in like the actual fight to like bring equality to black people and other marginalized communities. They all come from the same sources you're saying, like white supremacy pretty much affects every facet of our society. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, equating them is just like affecting real people. And yeah. at the end of the day, our dogs don't know what we're saying about them. So it's not mm-hmm. the same. But the black people on your timeline do see what you're saying. Yeah. And we don't like it. The other thing that bothers me about it is because it implies that we just wrapped up slavery and that black people don't have any problems anymore. So now we can shift our attention to dogs. And that's also not the case. A hundred percent. I'd love to also chat about that kind of juxtaposition of the pit bull and this. I mean, obviously we're not drawing the same comparison, but they are linked historically, which Mm -hmm. is something you pointed out, which I think is a much more interesting way to like shed that emotional impact on this topic. I don't know. I hate when like people on my timeline talk about like breed specific legislation and call it discriminatory policies. Like that's just not how I would put it forward. Word. Yeah, the breed has this history behind it, mm-hmm. and it is intrinsically linked with the history of Black people. So I'd love to hear, first of all, based on your research, like that story, mm-hmm. and then we can definitely talk about it in relation to you and Ginger. Yeah, discriminatory policies. They're almost never saying it in re- regards to the fact that Black and brown people are being discriminated against in terms of getting this housing. <laughs> They're always like, the dogs are discriminated against. And I'm like, Almost there. So close to the point. (laughs) Missed it a little bit. The history of pit bulls in the U.S. Big topic. But glad we get to talk about it because I saw the nanny dog myth again today. And that's part of the story. What I didn't know when I first started doing research is how pit bulls were seen as like a very American dog in terms of how they were used in relation to the military. They were used on like posters to encourage people to join the draft, go to war. Yeah, I know. That's surprising. So after the war, when the country's in economic ruin, people are looking for ways to make money again. A lot of white men in the South take up dog fighting as a way to bring in income. This is right after World War II, I believe. I just know there's a point where uh, white wealth starts to bounce back. Mm -hmm. So they take a step back from that quote unquote sport um, for money and black people who are still in economic ruin from before the war, just from as soon as we got here, um, are still looking for ways to make money and dog fighting is one of the ways that mm. people earn income. Once black people are doing it, white people are outraged. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> you could see that coming. At black folks' cruelty. Even though it was done by white folks like before as a way to make money when they needed mm-hmm. that once black people start making for money, it becomes about like their humanity and their capacity yeah. to love animals, etc. Right. Now it's about morality and ethics and how could black people be so cruel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the growing association between pit bulls as a rap icon, pit bulls as associated with poor 
were poor neighborhoods where some folks were getting pit bulls to protect themselves because there's high crime in really poor neighborhoods. That's what happens when you don't invest in neighborhoods. So people had a lot of pit bulls in those areas. They get associated almost exclusively with Black and brown people especially Black people, and then they're demonized. And then Black people and pit bulls at the same time are exclusively seen as violent. What happens next? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it affected, like I know some parts of the U.S. have like, yeah, breed specific legislation. I know here, basically here in Canada, we have like most of it is okay. And then where I am at, where the province I'm in, Ontario has mm-hmm. anti-pit bull legislation. Interesting. Where we're most populated, but also where we have like, I don't know, Toronto is like a huge like multicultural mecca, we like to call it. And then um, anyway, so I don't know if that's something that came out as a result of this like. Yeah, you get the War on Drugs and Tough on Crime Act in the 80s and 90s. So now we're criminalizing Black people. Yes. And subsequently, pit bulls are getting criminalized for being with them and associated with this crime and gang violence. And then you get more regulation around where pit bulls can be and where they can't be. And subsequently, where Black people can be and where they can't be. Shows just that, you know, at the end of the day, the way we view dogs is tied to all of those same pillars that influence the way we are around, well, not just as individuals, but as a society are around people, black people and brown people, like you said. Yeah. Well, white supremacy will use anything. <laughs> we'll use anything to act out racism without having to call it that. So if we focus yes. on keeping dogs out of the neighborhood and it just so happens to keep black people out of our suburb, that's just an unexpected consequence when really that is a primary objective of white supremacy always. Do you have any myths about pit bulls that you like through your research have learned to dispel or maybe even just like through your experiences with ginger just like no way. The jaw locking one is a big one that for some reason people still believe. Biologically pit bulls are the same as other dogs. They don't have a locking mechanism in their skulls. I don't know where that came from. It's just incorrect. (laughs) It's just incorrect. That's what cracks me up about these things. If somebody did just a little bit of research, we could dispel it immediately. I think one thing that I've taken away from pit bull advocates is how important it is to focus on the dog in front of you. So that does not mean going around telling people that pit bulls aren't nanny dogs or family dogs. And it also means not going around telling people that pit bulls are murderers and maulers. Um, I think those are two extremes that stop someone from thinking critically and specifically about the dog that they're dealing with. That happens in all breeds. We just project these certain things onto them without taking the context of the specific dog into the situation. And then we wonder what goes wrong when that dog doesn't follow the pattern that we've laid out for it. Especially with pit bulls, I think people get so caught up in a cause that they can't step back and take a look at what's actually happening right in front of their faces sometimes, um, which isn't helpful either way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like that nanny narrative that I've also seen around. That's basically kind of like taking that really negative story and just turning it on its head and just being like, no, this is like, they're perfect and they are great with kids as a way to counteract that story. But obviously, that can do just as much damage because every dog needs to be socialized to be with kids needs to be with an owner that advocates and 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 like you don't want an accident happening and then it becoming part of that like binary structure basically of like evil dog or good dog 
Right. So if we say that the dog is a perfect angel and then we decide to leave it alone with a kid and ignore its body language in the moment, and then it attacks a child, which is not what pit bulls usually attack. That's also a myth. I don't, we latch on to the pit bulls attack children narrative, but it's primarily adolescents and adults, according to the research. Hmm. And that dog was set up to fail because of this other myth that the dog is perfect. So I think we fail pit bulls in a lot of ways. I think, like you said, people put so much on dog breeds overall. And when it comes to like a big contentious breed, like a pit bull, people, yeah, can maybe fail to just like understand like your dog is who they are based on, you know, its temperament, Mm -hmm. its history, its relationship with you, all sorts of factors that go beyond breed. I think always kind of treating most dogs the same as a starting point is always a good call and then seeing what your dog specifically needs from that. I mean, I know that in rescuees, all sorts of big terminologies, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like still saying someone with experience with power breeds Mm -hmm. is something like we might use as a category. But then, yeah, but like those are just like, you know maybe patterns that, again, individual dogs have. And it's always hard to kind of, I guess, have that gap between like getting people to adopt, helping them understand what they're getting into, and then also not perpetuating myths or not just like enforcing those. I think the more shelters can use really specific language and honest and transparent language about a specific dog's history, the better. Let people make that informed decision for themselves. And that dog doesn't just end up back in the shelter in three to six months because they didn't understand the lingo that shelter was using and discovers behavior problems. But also I think there's a problem. There's this Harlan Weaver article that I talk about all the time, Becoming in Kind, how we are trying to associate pit bulls with white middle-class families as much as possible, divorce them from their context of Mm. poor Black, brown communities as much as possible to get them adopted. And we got to interrogate that decision as well. We got to interrogate why we have this pit bull wearing a tutu and a sweater vest next to this happy white woman so that it gets adopted and why we feel that we as a shelter or we as adopters cannot trust that very same animal if it's linked to Blackness. And I posted that reel about names and people are very (laughs) seriously associating names of dogs with a race and that affects their adoptability. So that email that I got yesterday talking about how all of this vitriol against pit bulls has nothing to do with race. It's just very false. Everything we do has a lot to do with race, including adopting dogs. Like you said, whether it is purposefully or not, which again is I think part of the gap people have is like not understanding that like you can enact like racism without meaning to. It's all about like evaluating how you conduct yourself and like doing the research, being conscious, or even just admitting that you've like, that you've done something without truly like thinking about all the different consequences it has. And when it comes to like adopters, definitely I know that whether it's from like what you said, your process of like vetting through rescues and shelters that you weren't a fit for, or just in general, having this like idea of like, if I adopt a certain dog, Will I be viewed differently or will the dog be viewed differently? People of color don't participate in like rescue and adoption as much because I think there is a more vigorous screening process. And while that's important, definitely a part of like why I advocate for rescue versus like buying a dog, because usually there's a more 
involved process of screening that also will like draw back people and make a lot of people who've experienced bad situations when it comes to any sort of screenings. If your life is like <laughs> shitty job interviews and all sorts of different situations, you're not going to want to apply for a dog and go right. through that again. And I think that's a barrier. And then mm-hmm. there's more barriers from that. Even now, like with all this said, you look at pitbulls on social media and I feel like they're kind of rebranded as like a young, like a twenties blonde woman's dog. Yes. <laughs> and kind of like this, that's like their kind of new thing with the, mm-hmm. and, inst- and like you said, even just the choice that a black person can have of what dog they want can be like loaded. If they get a big dog versus a small dog or whatever can mean a lot of different things versus like other people. Definitely. I've talked on my page a lot about how differently I'm treated when I'm out and about by myself versus out and about with Ginger. A lot of people will comment on those posts and say, I just like dog more dogs more than people. Or if someone has a dog, I think we have more in common than if someone does not have a dog. So I stopped to talk. But what if you just thought you and Black people had things in common all the time? Like, what if you just thought there are other things that you could relate to a Black person on and that your worlds aren't that separate um, and there are things for you to talk about? What if you smiled at them and made them feel welcome in your neighborhood even if they don't have a dog with them? Could the world look like if people just chose to be nicer all the time. So you basically, your experiences are that when you're out with Ginger, people are more likely to like approach you and be friendly and like start conversations. People be real happy to see me when they <laughs> see me coming down with Ginger. Um, but alone, whether I'm invisible and people walk into me all the time. With Ginger, I get a lot of space. But without Ginger, people will just assume that I'm going to move out of their way and keep walking or I'm hyper visible and people are wondering what the heck I'm doing in their neighborhood, which again, they don't ask if I have Ginger. That's just a friendly person walking the dog. She has a reason to be here. Um, Whereas if I'm by myself, they assume malintent. And I think that's just something that most white people don't understand about literally the daily experiences that especially Black folks deal with Mm -hmm. pretty much everywhere in the world, like you've pointed out, just shows that like the way that they relate to dogs is just like another way of you being in the world that can go either way. (laughs) (laughs) People can look at you and gender and just be like, that's adorable. Or I guess like based on the history could also think about it the other way. Yeah, I think if she looked more like a pit bull, I would be in more trouble. But because there's some sort of mix happening there, there's a chance that we're friendly. Whereas if I'm a Black woman with a full pit bull type dog, then there's a higher chance that we're not friendly. I'm sorry that you have to deal with that every day. I always have to just say it because it sucks. Ginger's worth it. Another thing that I want people to keep in mind, things that trend on TikTok and Instagram reels are really racially loaded to me in ways that are very obvious. If a song has the N-word in it and that's the version that trend. People are going to use that version, even though there's a clean version where they could not have the N-word on their page, but it's less likely that they'll go viral. So they do it anyway. I think that's an inconsiderate decision. There's trends. I saw one recently where uh, a dog was in a gold chain meant to look more masculine because or really look blacker to me, to me. That's how it came across to me rather than wearing a bandana. And that goes back to exactly what we were talking about, the associations with sweet white women or the associations with gangster rap um, and criminal activity with the gold chains. Like 
that's a racialized choice, even if you don't mean it to be racialized. You're just doing the trend. As soon as you were talking about it, all I could think about was, oh my God, what was it? This Doja Cat song that everyone was lip syncing. Everybody was just lip syncing it. It had a lot of (laughs) the N-word in it. And I just was like, why? Why would you, a white person, want to lip sync this song? Even if you're not saying the word, the word is there. The trend's not worth it, folks. No, definitely not. And I think exactly what you're saying too about putting animals in racial stereotypes happens all Mm -hmm. the time it does because it's cute and it's not racist because they're animals and surprise surprise like the scooby-doo reveal at the end of an episode Mm. it was racism all along you take off the mask and boom white supremacy right there thank you that was a really good note to end on evaluate your content just think about it a little bit about it if cassidy was watching your video would she smile or would she be like, <laughs> would I put it in my group chat? Am I texting my friends about this? Ask yourself or ask me before you post it, which has happened. And Fair. there's a chance that I don't get around to it because I get a lot of DMs, but I'm going to try. If I can stop racism from being spread around the internet, I'm going to try to do my part. Like, stop, don't post it. <laughs> Maybe don't do that one, sis. <laughs> Oh man. Um, I would love to just get let you have a shout out about your Black Pet List and Pet POC Directory. I think they're amazing resources that full and people who are Black, people who are people of color like me, like definitely want to know who can we follow? Maybe reflects us in our identities and values a little bit. More. Absolutely. The Black Pet List started because I was collecting for myself other yeah. Black people on the internet in the pet space. I was really excited to follow them, see their content, promote them as much as I could. Um, and then I decided to make it public because I assumed if I wanted to find them, we probably want to find each other. Um, and then I thought about how non-Black people could use the list to support businesses, very intentionally support Black businesses. Um, and services and not just products but like if you know that you need a treat why not get a treat from this black owned business if you know that you need a dog walker why not see if there are black dog walkers in your city why not trainers or trainers like you know again when you have any sort of like services it's always nice to have someone who like understands you it's nice yeah um and then the pet poc directory was just kind of an extension of that for non-Black people of color who also deserve a lot of promotion, also need visibility, also are trying to find each other. And that is one you can add yourself to. The Black Pet List, I add entries to, um, but the Pet POC directory, there's a link in my bio, you can add yourself at any time. Awesome. I'd love to, yeah, just share your accounts across the interwebs. Yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram. I have a Twitter, but I only use it to make Instagram content. So you might as well just follow me on Instagram at gingers underscore naps, like ginger snaps, but there's an underscore between the S and the N. Um, do you have TikTok or anything like that? Nope. I'm just on Instagram. <laughs> it's fair. It's a lot of work. TikTok. I want to get TikTok after I finish this PhD. I know as soon as I have that app on my phone, I'm never going to do anything else. I can attest that. Yeah, it is <laughs> the biggest time drainer of my life. Um, I so I recommend that, that you wait. Catch us on TikTok in two years. (laughs) I love it. Who knows what might be around then anyway. (laughs) 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me on Rescue Dog Love. It was such a good conversation. I think it'll be really um, helpful and useful for a lot of our listeners. So thank you. Lots of fun. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. Rescue Dog Love is a project by Yamini Cohen, inspired by her rescue dog boss, who you can find on Instagram with his doggy sibling, Queenie, at Queenie and Boss. To keep up with the Rescue Dog Love podcast, you can follow us at rescuedoglove.com or at rescuedoglovepod on Instagram. See you next time.